Well, hello, everyone. Um, welcome to The Calling Vision, where we explore changing the world when you align and partner with the vision that is seeking you, the vision that has selected you to bring it into form. <clears throat> this is B.B. Harding, your host, and today I have as my guest, Jody Bach. Welcome, Jody. Thanks, B.B. I'm happy to be with you. Well, I'm happy to have you. So um, I'm going to give you a few words of introduction for Jody. Um, first of all, Jody is a colleague in the Groundswell University Dialogue. And, you know, one of the things that I found her to be is incredibly knowledgeable, uh, both in breadth and depth. And some of the things that always impressed me is regardless of what book we bring up or what whatever we talk about, Jody's read it or she knows about it. <laughs> And sometimes I'm going, who in the hell is that person? <laughs> so, she's, you know, I know that some of the people that have come up in the conversation are, are Rob Bell and Jim Collins from Good to Great, Napoleon Hill, Outwitting the Devil. And she even brought up the book called The Course of Love by Mary Perone. So she's both, you know, for me, she's got breadth and depth, both in what I would consider the practical as well as the spiritual. And that's something that I really appreciate. Another thing that I really appreciate about Jody in, in our discussions is how she really is very vulnerable and open and shares her experiences of how she's been impacted by the dialogues and conversations that we've had in that particular, um, I'm going to call it a course for lack of a better word, and then how much she pushes towards simplicity. I really love her take that, you know, a leader is someone who goes first. And I went, well, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, there's so many words, other words and feelings that one can attach to the word leader or leadership. So Jody has a business or at least a group that she's getting ready to start called Enlightened Leadership, where there'll be a dialogue about what does it take to be a leader? And, you know, how is the leadership function changing in the world and what needs to be brought, you know, to the forefront? There's a few things that I've learned about Jody. You know, definitely that she's a people connector, speaker and a podcaster. Those are things that I knew. However, when she gave me her bio and I peeked at her website, I discovered a few other things that she was the author and co-author of eight books. And I went, well, okay, I didn't know that. And that she considers herself the accidental entrepreneur. And she also, I found it, but I couldn't refind it, that you had a traumatic experience around one of your books. And we'll talk about that in a little bit because I'm very curious about that. Yeah, I'm going to call it a traumatic experience around <laughs> one of your books. Um, so I just really, really appreciate the fact that you're here. And um, so again, welcome, Jody. Thanks, Vivi. Yeah. Do, I, do you feel like I left anything important out of your no, intro? Uh -uh. Okay. No. <laughs> we'll uncover whatever needs to be uncovered here, and I'm pretty much an open book, so it's all good. Cool. You know, so one of the first things I really want to talk to you about is like, you know, the accidental entrepreneur. And when you, first of all, what happened? Let's talk about that. Well, I grew up in an era where, you know, you get a job for 40 years and you get the pension and you, there's no other way to do it. You just do the same thing. What, what do they call it? The 40, 40, 40, 40. Uh, 40 hours a week for 40 years and you retire at 40% of your income or something like that. Oh, I've never heard that. Okay. Yeah. I, I just didn't know there wasn't any other way. So I spent my early career kind of trying to find the place where I thought I might be able to stay forever. And it just didn't 
turn out that way for me. The longest I stayed at any job was for 10 years, which now feels like a long time to be in one job. But I was very restless. And my last W-2 job before I started my business was at a manufacturing organization where I was hired to do leadership development. And this manufacturing organization was a private part, private public partnership between the Department of Commerce of North Dakota and this organization. And they were funded from the National Institute of Standards and Technology. So we had to show results and that's how we got funded. And I was hired to do leadership development and we didn't know how to measure those results. It was a new position. And so every day I was trying to make myself measurable. And I remember one day I came into my office and my boss said, Jody, what you do is touchy feely crap that makes me puke. And I went, well, I wonder if this is where I need to spend my career. And that began this uh, journey into personal development for me, which eventually led to me leaving corporate America to start my own business just because I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't find something that that would fill my soul. So I did my best to create it. So did you have an awareness at that time of like you were being led in a different direction? You know, if that's a good question. And only in hindsight, can I actually take a look at that? During, during the time I was in it, I didn't at all. Actually, that's not true. Let me think about that. There was one of those jobs that I had during my, you know, foray into figuring myself out where a friend of mine said, Jody, what we're going to do is put a date on a calendar and it's going to be 90 days out. And from today, it was February 15th. And he said, in 90 days, something's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to be, but something's going to happen. And so I circled the date. I think it would have been February, March, April, May, you know, May 15th, circled that date. Then sort of forgot about it, just was kind of upset with my boss at this job I happened to be at the time. And I was recruited to a startup training company then, and I started on day 95. So when I look back, there were things guiding me. And that was a startup training company where I discovered that while my mom was a teacher and all of her brothers and sisters were teachers, I never wanted to be a teacher. But it turns out that... I am. It's in my DNA. I might just not be a teacher like everybody else in a classroom. And that job that I was kind of drawn to proved that to me, even though it didn't last. It was a startup that was underfunded. And one day I came back and my furniture was being repossessed. So I knew I needed to find a different job at that point. But that was really the the beginning of me recognizing that you can't bite your calling. Hmm. So what would you say, you know, over the years and the evolution of it, that your calling is? Well, I wouldn't call it teacher necessarily, but yeah. when I look look at that, um, being a person who has information to share, which I'm calling now uh, a thought leader and someone who uh, supports others in their own development journeys. I don't know what the title for that is. I don't know if it's a coach or a consultant. I don't know. I feel like it's less a sage on the stage and more a guide by your side. I've heard that distinction before, but I do enjoy speaking on stages as well, just to kind of wake people up to possibilities. And I think that's what I, I feel it is. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I hear, you know, that term thought leader, you know, I hear that term quite a bit. For you, when you say the word thought leader, what does that mean to you? I had a mentor who um, 
died during the COVID thing. Before that, he people called him a thought leader. And I didn't really know exactly what that was, but I knew him. His name is Dave. And I knew Dave was a thought leader. And there was one point, um, maybe a couple years before he died, that he told me, Jody, you're a thought leader, like I'm a thought leader. And if I compare in that space myself to Dave, that's a huge compliment. And what I saw in Dave, he he's a guy who has universal principles as part of his lexicon, part of his awareness and understanding. And he shared that in a way that made it um, accessible to anybody. It wasn't, he didn't talk above people. He He's the one who introduced me to this concept of future pull, which I didn't know anything about. But to me, that is really obvious about what I'm doing now. Future pull is like, Inside every acorn is the possibility of an oak tree. That's a future pull. It's future pulled toward its potential. Mm. But if you put the acorn on the table, it'll never turn into an oak tree because it needs to be put in the place where it can succeed and thrive. And and to me, those are the kinds of thoughts that Dave led in his conversations and speaking and coaching. And, you know, that's, I, I hope to do a service to Dave in sharing some of those kinds of thoughts and possibilities where it's not making, we, we've talked about this, BB, but it's not making people do it. It's allowing them to become aware of perhaps the vision that's calling to them. Yeah. It, you know, I really appreciate you just saying, you know, future pool. That's not a term that I've heard before, but it's the one that I try to language around. Mm-hmm. But I really feel that there it's, it's kind of like what the, the realization for me that a vision is calling you as much as you're looking for the vision, right. you know, and I've using the term vision, but it could be, you know, a person's book is calling them, a person's, you know, career is calling them, a person's life story is calling them, whatever. But there's a, something that's in there that's pulling them forward instead of being pushed into yes. something. Yes. And, you know, so thank you for the term. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you feel that you're being pulled towards? Do you do you have a sense of that? I, I I think it's hard to articulate because it's such a feeling. And I was never one who would identify as a feeler or a kinesthetic. Kind of, I would never have identified that because I was conditioned and trained that it's about what you think and what you read and what you know and all of the things that you tell. And so it's only in the last, I don't know, a couple of years, maybe that I'm starting to really own my feelingness, <laughs> my, my some, somehow some sort of inability to articulate the feeling area, because I've been so good at articulating the doing area of my mm-hmm. life. And so for me, I feel, and again, I'm going to use that language. I feel I feel that my calling or what I'm here to do in the world is to facilitate and hold the space for people to have dialogues that I call it dialogues that matter with people who matter. And in the space I am holding, amazing things happen. And so my job is to witness the amazing things that happen in the space I hold for people to be heard, gotten, witnessed, seen, celebrated, maybe. 
Yeah, oh, wow. I really, I really, really like that. I, I was thinking that one of the things that I feel, you know, same kind of a thing, you mm-hmm. know, definitely um, I'm mislogical, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that being logical, and I can remember, like I was driving down the road when I was 40, when I had the aha, that maybe there was some intuition inside of me. Yeah. I mean, that was a shock, mm-hmm. you know, that I was like, and how I saw it exemplified was that when I was learning, you know, being a programmer, I knew where the problems were. I just necessarily didn't know how to fix them. Mm-hmm. But it was like that was the intuitive pull. But I really feel that one of the things that's opening up in the space today is the fact that people are getting in touch with, I would say, the whispers from their soul, mm-hmm. you know, the call from their soul, which isn't articulated in logic. It can't be because it's not logical. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, I, I remember hearing and reading about um, Simon Sinek's earlier work, Start With Why. And he was the first one who uh, showed me that the why, which is purpose, which is all of these things we're talking about that are a little more squishy and hard to articulate. The the question why triggers a part of our brain that doesn't have language. And so when we are asked, why did you do that? Or why is that important? We're like, it just feels like it is. It just feels right. So he said, when you buy things, like you buy a car, you will purchase it from your gut or from your intuition or the place that doesn't have language. And then you'll try to justify it with logic. Right. And I think there's a lot of people that talk about that too, that people you know, it's like the logic, you know, is the first thing. And then it's like you really make the decision. And I remember when I was studying typology in the equine gestalt program, one of the things was like, if you were an intuitive, you know, and then you had the logic that was like, you know, you could have the research that you did, but at the buying moment is, does this car feel good to me? Yeah. Yeah. And, but we would, if we, like you and I, you've just said that you were logical. If we were trained and conditioned that way, we, at least I discounted those feelings. Yeah. I always tried to find the language for it. And I discount it because I, because it feels good because there's nothing that you can um, prove in a feeling. And so <laughs> I knew I didn't like some of my jobs. I knew yeah. I didn't feel right in some of the things I was doing, but that seemed so touchy-feely, right? My my yeah. boss, Randy, Jody, what you do is touchy-feely crap. Feely and, and then I went, wow, okay, so maybe this is my superpower. Maybe there's something hidden in this that could be a superpower for me. Again, looking back, this isn't yeah, yeah, yeah. This at the time, but that's where I see there's, for you too, Bibi, there's this opportunity to language some yeah. of the things that are squishy so that people can go, me too. Oh my gosh. I never thought about that before because it wouldn't have occurred to you in a, in a place of thought or language. Yeah. I really appreciated this creepy feeling, you know, that <laughs> crap. Yeah, actually that was his language. That was really what he told me. Yeah, no, I believe you. I totally believe you because, you know, I have, I have my own version of, of those kinds of things. It's like, you know, <laughs> What the blank do you think you're doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and like you said, it's kind of like you go, uh, well, ah, mm, uh, mm, uh, uh, uh. yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so you became the the accidental entrepreneur. How do you feel? You know, over the course of the, you know, your evolution, 
How do you feel that it's informed you? Ever have you ever consciously thought of working? You know, with as a partner with the energy that calls you forward. Yes. Um, boy, I'm trying to remember when because I was thinking about this recently. Over, you know, like what are the signposts? What are the milestones? I have actually worked with energy people. I wouldn't call them that. Not the way you do. Not just yeah. therapy people. But I, I had a spiritual teacher many years ago, 15 years ago, maybe. And I kind of followed her and she taught A Course in Miracles. And so I read through, I've studied that book for these 15 years now. And some of those things weren't about the work necessarily, like the work I was doing. They were about the being I was while Mm -hmm. I was doing the work I was doing. And that really uncovered a lot of things and opened up a lot of spaces I didn't even have any anything to compare to and so a course in miracles was really important for me in those early years because I I think looking back I have a little bit of no maybe a lot of religious trauma in my background um when in relationships with God who I call God universal power where I was resisting a whole lot of things just because it felt so uh we were talking earlier about the pull and the push. It felt so pushed and forced and it has to be this way. And if it's not that way, it's wrong. And if you don't do it that way, you're wrong. And I spent most of my life trying desperately not to be wrong in the eyes of all these authorities. So I think all the, the, all the time, when I look back, the frustration I ever had in any of the work I was doing was because I didn't know how to unleash that energy and that spiritual part of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I've, I've been around the spiritual part, you know, of me for several years now. And, you know, it was always kind of one of the things I kept in the closet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't until I retired from work that people knew that maybe there was a little part of me that was woo-woo. Because, mm-hmm. you know, that was not something I brought up. Mm-hmm. And then when I, because of the Equine Gestalt Program, um, I remember one of the one of the bosses of another division said uh, he's a horse whisperer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that was her explanation of it. But I didn't even share. I had shared with her, you know, that I was doing the program. But it was it was interesting because it wasn't the thing that that I could really explain. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just you know that was a part of me that that people, you know, that I kept hidden, yeah. you know, the rebuking and everything else, because that certainly didn't, wouldn't have fit in the IT world. <laughs> no. no, then, I mean, looking yeah. back, I bet yeah. now when you really look at IT, the IT world, um, I just had the opportunity to speak to a group of um, C-level executives in the IT space who are in transition, in career transition, either they've just landed or they've been downsized or outsourced or something. And I was amazed, this was just last week, that I shared a message with their organization, 90 Minutes, how many of them came up to me afterwards and just articulated things that probably like were closeted kind of feelings in that space of IT, where now I've developed these relationships with these executives in the last week that point more toward my painting and the things that I'm doing just recently that have a lot more to do with spiritual dimensions than with 
left-brained. So I'm wondering if there's something about IT, you can't touch it, you can't feel it, you can't, what is the internet? What is information <laughs> technology, right? You can't, so there's probably a big spiritual dimension in that in that industry. I, I would agree with you. I feel like that that's something that's opening up. It, but I also would attribute that to the fact that um, there's a wider acceptance Mm. of these principles than there used to be you know these days it's quote common knowledge Mm -hmm. you know people know people who are energy healers Mm -hmm. people know people who are you know bring in you know bring in messages or information you know that you know we i would refer to as being channeled information and there are people who bring in channeled information that have no idea that they are bringing in channeled information and um you know it's like you know, the, the the situation where somebody says something really profound, you ask them to repeat it and they go, what? I don't know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that know, happens a lot for it does. me, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that you talked about was, you know, doing it right and mm-hmm. how you've lived a life of being, you know, trying to be right. Mm-hmm. The traumatic experience that I read and I couldn't, it was really interesting because I ran across it, but then I went back to look at it so I could, you know, get some more information out of it and I couldn't find it. Oh, funny. Are you talking about the, the review? Yeah. The, the, I said, if I remember the situation, you were in an interview with somebody about the book and I think it was the hundred percent factor book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and I could have that wrong. No, where, right. And and I, if I remember correctly, you were talking about people not knowing what they want. Mm-hmm. And, and her, she was totally aghast at how people could not know what they want. Yes. Talk about what happened for you. Yes. Oh, yes. That's right. I just wrote that not that long ago um, on a blog post, I think, somewhere. And, and it kind of reminded me of this. It was a long time ago, 2006. And this person interviewed me for uh, a magazine or something to talk about the book. And, and it was a man who interviewed me and he said, um, why, who would read your book? And I said, well, it would be for people who are kind of searching and don't know exactly what they want. I think that would be a really good thing. And he said, he couldn't, he just couldn't understand how anybody would ever not know what they want. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm wrong. I've written this book for people like me who may not know exactly what they want. And here's this guy who knows so much more than I, he's a publisher of a magazine. He's a big deal. He, wow. I, I'm kind of embarrassed right now. I don't know what to do. I've got this book. I thought it was great. And I started doubting myself because that's what I did. Right. I, I, I wasn't trying to be right necessarily. I was trying not to be wrong. I think more than anything, when I was in this stage of, I can't find my people because I'm the only weirdo out here. And here's this guy who's telling me that this book is of no value to anyone. And I thought, really? But the, the funny thing about that was that nobody, at least not in my circle, nobody read that article. Nobody heard that interview. No, there was nobody in my circle that believed that. And so I had to come back with this, you know, now five boxes of books that I purchased (laughs) to try to (laughs) get people to read. I had to let that go a little bit because I had to believe in what I had written. 
And so I went back and rewrote, reread my book and I went, well, this is, if it weren't me writing it, this is really good. There's really good information here. So it was a blip, but it, it was, I was reminded of it as I'm recounting the stories in my history that don't have the emotional pull they used to. And that's the beauty of the work we're doing. You and I are doing mm-hmm. where we can release the, the negative emotions and energy from the history and still have the stories to tell, but they don't pull us back in the trauma that we might've experienced at the time. So I imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong here. I imagine that in the course of your entrepreneurship in particular, that there have been times where the doubts are there. You think? <laughs> well, I know they're there. Yes. <laughs> oh, man, so many times I'm like, why can't I just find a job? Why can't I just work? I mean, I've tried. If you look at my career, I've I've gone in, I've gone back in, and I've you know, been in a situation as an employee for three years, and then I'm out and then I'm back in as a partner for four years, and I'm out and then I'm back in as a, an employee. I've tried. Because, I, <laughs> you know, I, I think for me, I crave um, community more than anything. Mm. So for me, I will, in the last in the case of my last job, which was in tw- 2021, um, for nine months in that job. I loved that job. I loved it. There was nothing about being an entrepreneur that I felt I was missing in that job. For me, it's not a, the entrepreneur journey is not one I ever would have chosen. I'm, I just want to be around really cool people and be celebrated for my gifts and talents. I don't care if I'm doing that for myself or with somebody else. Hmm. So, so at the same time, you keep doing it. Because I can't seem to find something that fills that hole in my soul for a a group. It feels like I'd have to give up too much. And I could be completely wrong about that. But what I have now stopped searching for and maybe am calling the universe to provide for me is opportunities to do the work I love and the work that I feel called to do in the service of people who love what I do. Do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. Yeah. So now let's take that for a moment there. You know, so you're looking for that deep, rich conversation with other people, that ability to share and what have you. So is that the prompt or the calling that's coming to you for creating your enlightened leadership group? Yes. I think it's a space where there aren't any right answers. There are just conversations that can unleash inside people um blocks that they didn't know they had uh one of i don't know if you can see my tattoo i have a tattoo on my arm and if you can't see it and that if it's audio you won't see it anyway it's i-s-u-m-a-t-a-q and that word the pronunciation is still not exactly clear to me i say isumatok but i've seen it pronounced isumatok as well but it's from the inuit language and it is a person who holds the space for wisdom to emerge. Wow. And that's what I feel called to do. So the doing of my life is to hold that space for wisdom to emerge from the dialogues, corporately, sure, uh, individually, yes, um, in a space where people don't know where else to go. That's what Enlightened Leadership Lab is about. It's a lab. We can experiment. We can be safe. We can say something that somebody might not understand and we'll have very 
loving arms holding us. I mean, I know it sounds a little squishy, but that's kind of what in three weeks we've had three, three gatherings so far. It's felt like that. Yeah. It, well, that's the same kind of experience that I take away from Groundswell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I don't know, I could, I could put words in your mouth, but I feel like that's the <clears throat> same kind of a thing that you take. And I know for me, there's been a lot of things where there's no pressure to do anything, mm-hmm. you know, and at the same time, several things have emerged, Yeah, you know, one of which is for me, this podcast, mm-hmm. you know, that, that real awareness that I wouldn't have put together, mm-hmm. but that real awareness that, you know, waiting for the calling that's calling me or not waiting, but living into it. And, you you know, there have been things that I've been doing all along that kind of lead up to that. Mm -hmm. But here, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, guess what? This is the next experiment. And that's what it is. It's an experiment and to see where it's going. So how have you seen the threads of your life come together in the, you know, the, the Night Leadership Lab. How have you seen your life experiences come together with that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the the looking back again, Steve Jobs told us we can only connect the dots looking back. Connecting those dots and looking back, the frustration points, the places where I got out of flow state um, were signposts to say what's missing, the presence of which would make a positive difference. And for me, it was always safety, conversation, connection. So when I felt frustrated and upset, it was because that was missing. Whether it was in a job, um, even as I had my own business, if I got out of the flow of clients and customers finding me or whatever, um, that's what was missing. And so in the Enlightened Leadership Lab, sharing that for me, Chris and I co-host it. So we both can share our experience and watching people. We have about 10 people now. So the 12 with us, when you watch them and you can see them all on a zoom screen and you say something, or Chris says something, I say something or Chris does, and they go, Oh, me too. I thought I was alone in that. Oh my gosh. Right. So then who they can be in those 90 minutes, like we can in groundswell, it kind of informs how they show up for the rest of their week. And then who are they being with their family and their business and their company? If they're an employee, they can come back the next week and go, okay, this is what happened when I was being me or when I tried to do this, or when I found myself back in a frustrating place, it's like a soft landing spot every week. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sense at all of, of, of where you're going and like, an, let's call it an energetic presence informing you about what kind of wisdom to share. Do you have any sense of that? When I, when I'm speaking or when I'm like, when I'm doing a, a prepared speech or when I'm coaching, how do you mean? Cause it's different. Yeah, um, well, I would say all of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say all of it. I'm, I'm just checking in and going, Nope, not feeling it for just speaking or just. Okay. It's like, do you have a sense at all of, of like, you know, the wisdom, you know, your tattoo, mm-hmm. you know, the space holder for wisdom to emerge? Did I get that right? The the, the person who holds the space, yes, for wisdom yeah. to emerge. Yeah. yeah, okay. Um, so like in that particular sense, do, do you have a sense of, 
being guided, led, mm-hmm. informed um, about the kind of wisdom to share. Yeah. Curiosity here. Yeah, that's a good, that's good. So when I'm preparing a speech, let's say I, I'm preparing a speech to give to an organization that somebody's hiring me to do a speech, I'm preparing what I think they want to hear. So I've got slides, I've got, you know, I'm doing the the work. I always ask if somebody's hiring me to do a speech, what do you want the audience to know, be, feel, think, do, and have as a result? So I have them tell me in a way, and if I think about what your question was, I'm guiding the universe to to answer these questions for the client that's paying me, right? What do you want the mm-hmm. audience to know, be, feel, think, do, and have? And so I put those down on the slides. And then as I'm talking, as I'm Sometimes I hear myself. It's yeah. I, it's hard to explain. It, it I go I go in a place that I didn't necessarily intend, and that happens a lot. And it's happened a lot over the course of my speaking career. And I remember distinctly the first time I had that experience as a witness of my own speaking. I was in Indianapolis, and we were talking about teamwork, team building, and I could never have articulated it then, but I was being guided to say something to someone. Um, And here's the funny thing about that. I was trained as a speaker to never have Q&A, never ever have Q&A at the end of any of your speeches, because if you do, you will get somebody in the audience who is an expert in your field and will take you off. You know, well, I can't not do Q&A. I can't not. I'm not a trained head doing a speech word for word that you will hear all the time, no matter what I do, I'm completely different in every situation I do. And part of that is because I connect with my audience. I did a Ted talk. I don't know if you know this, Bibi. I did a Ted talk in 2016 that I completely bombed. One of my goals was to do a Ted talk, TEDx talk. And I was, I'm a good writer. I write first. I speak second. I sometimes say God called me to write and he pushes me to speak. (laughs) right and in that speech it was such a good speech and it was memorized 12 minute memorized speech and I had my prompts you know I could look at my teleprompter over here so I had it timed when I was going to look over here 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 and the teleprompter wasn't there when I went to do the speech and I completely froze and I forgot everything I was going to say and I stood in front of that audience and went not I'm not even kidding I've never watched. It's the worst experience of my whole life because I was there to tell, not to connect. Ah. And for me, that's a huge distinction. So everything I do now, whether it's Enlightened Leadership Lab or whether it's coaching, whether it's whatever I'm doing, teaching a class, it's all about the connection. It's complete. We will, we might be completely derailed because that's what the people needed to hear or say or witness in that moment. So, you know, given the work that you're doing now, it's like enlightened leaders, how would you have that connection come forward, you know, into the universe? Like, for example, you know, Chris uses the phrase, if blank happened, it would change the world. Mm-hmm. So how do, you, how do you find, I don't know if you have a projection or a sense of what the enlightened leadership lab is asking of you? But how would you translate that if people had that connection, that conversation, mm-hmm. how would it change the world? 
my my answer to that is the impetus for the enlightened leadership lab so my answer to that question when blank happens the world will change i added for the better just in my way because i yeah you know, it can change in a whole lot of ways and i want it to change for the better so <laughs> my answer is when humans connect communicate and collaborate the world will change for the better and i've added a, another c in a presentation i did just the last couple of weeks and that is celebrate I don't celebrate enough, celebrate our victories, celebrate what we have done, not how far we have to go yet. So connect, communicate, collaborate, and celebrate. And so with that invitation, that's how people are coming into the lab. Are you looking for, are you feeling that there's a, I would call it a God-shaped hole, but a, a, a hole in your soul that you don't know how to fill. Well, maybe we can find something in the lab and when we connect, communicate, collaborate, and celebrate, that is a possibility that can happen in the lab. Enlightenment just means for us that we don't already necessarily know everything there is to know and that we're going in a direction that has a spiritual dimension to it. If you're looking specifically for business leadership stuff, this might not be for you. But if you're looking to be in a space of people who are like, man, there, maybe there's more I don't know, and the light might dawn on us in the conversation, that's what the Enlightened Leadership Lab is all about. How have you navigated, you know, over the course of your career here, how have you navigated dealing with the unknown? Not well, <laughs> because I always needed to know, right? That's how it was for me. That's why <laughs> yes. it was such a frustrating career journey. And it's only been in the last, golly, I'm going to say since COVID, that a lot of things, who knew anything during right. that time? That was a, like a shift, like a like a snow globe being shaken up and needed to settle in some way. And so all of that was almost, for me, um, awakening different parts of me. Like like NLP came to me after that, Neuro Linguistic Programming. <laughs> I, I have become certified in that. Um, some of those kind of spiritual or squishy ethereal kind of certifications are uh, becoming more real to me. And I, if people don't want what I've got, sorry, you go find somebody who does, because we're going to talk about things that you might not know yet. But isn't that the beauty of having somebody guide you in a space where you don't know what you don't know? Yeah. <laughs> so. How have you become, you know, for you more comfortable with that unknown? How you know, have you really step into that. It's it's unfolding every day, so it's really hard to go back and find the time. In fact, people are asking me now because I've started painting. Um, in since February, March, April, May, June, four months that I've been painting, and people are asking me, "How did that start? How did you do that? What was the journey for you?" I don't really remember. I I mean. I know there was a longing or something. So it was a long winter. It was a long winter in Fargo. And I turned 60 in January. And so I knew I wanted to do something sub substantial for my 60th birthday in January. And so I had an event called the chill out retreat. And I invited people to come and be with me in Fargo in January, which is just asinine. Who does that? And <laughs> People did. People said yes. And we had this great event where like-minded and like-hearted people came together with, you know, I, I, it's a longer story than we have to talk about, but that started this like, well, okay. So if people are coming to something that there's no guarantee of anything, 
It's just that they want to be in the room where the possibility exists that something could be amazing. Then why would I think I have to know everything about everything? Because it, it'll it be revealed. It'll be revealed in the conditions that allow it to be revealed. Why would I not trust that? And that's how my painting journey has turned out recently. I mean, I, I, I thought painting would be fun. Get a canvas, throw paint on it. And then I tried to copy people. And all I got was a really bad imitation of somebody else's work until I recognized that I don't even have to think about this. I can just allow these kinds of things to come out. I, I don't yeah. know what this means. I don't know what this is, but I like the colors and I like the way things show up on the canvas. And then I go, whoa, I could have my own style. I sold four paintings this weekend. Well, what? <laughs> One of them was a commission. <laughs> right. But it, that's the thing about that is it's not about, I, I think, thinking about all of our work, right? Leadership, um, coaching, whatever our work is. If I think it's me doing the work, that's very ego driven for me. If I think it's me writing the book or me doing whatever, things happen through me and being more confident about that. I don't have to say it like that. I don't have to be all woo woo about the language I'm using with it. But I think my confidence in who I know myself to be comes across for the people I'm selling my things to. And and three, I'll tell you, three weeks ago, four weeks ago maybe now, Rick Rubin was interviewed on 60 Minutes by Anderson Cooper and, oh my gosh, opened a whole new portal in my awareness. So Rick Rubin, if you don't know Rick Rubin, listeners, go look him up. He just wrote a book that came out in January called The Creative Act. And Rick Rubin is a music producer who has worked with rappers and um, Johnny Cash and Tom Petty and the Beatles, I think. I think he worked with the Beatles. Paul McCartney. There, There's all of this creativity inside this guy named Rick Rubin who has a big, long beard. But when Anderson Cooper said to him, so Rick, do you, do you play an instrument? And Rick said, no, not really. And he said, well, do you do the the mechanics of the you know, music producing? He goes, no. And Anderson Cooper said to him, well, Rick, what do people pay you for? And Rick said, get this. Rick said, the confidence I have in knowing what I like. And to me, that was mind altering because I have never had confidence in knowing what I like. Or wow. what's going through me. And that was my permission to start painting in a new way, writing, showing up, whatever I'm doing, Rick Rubin is my spirit animal. <laughs> okay. Well, if people wanted to get a hold of you and participate, especially in your Enlightened Leadership Lab, how would they do that? Enlightened Leadership Lab is just enlightenedleadershiplab.com forward slash invite. And that will give you a, a 15 minute conversation that Chris and I have about it. So if there's anything that's interesting about that to you, check that out. And everything else you can find me at my website, which is just jodybach.com. I think you found a lot there, BB, would you say? I did. It so. was, uh, like I said, you know, it was kind of interesting to, to cruise through. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that was the blog because I think it was the blog article that I read about the book. Yeah. And I did not check those again. Uh-huh. <laughs> They, they weren't as prominent second time around. Yeah, yeah. 
But I, I thought you were referring to, I got a negative review, um, August of 2021 that I hadn't even noticed, but on one of my other books and I posted it on Facebook because there was this person who just grilled me on this little book. I wrote this tiny little book. Uh, it's called say what it's a hundred questions to, to invite dialogue and open conversation. And she said, this is a waste. There's nothing of value here. I would, if I would have returned it, if it would have been easy to do it, if you're looking for something to open conversation, look somewhere else, just a scathing one-star review. So I wrote a little ponder, a little blog post, whatever that said, um, contemplations from a one-star Amazon review. <laughs> and that, and that was so funny because there were people who commented and said, keep your chin up. It's okay. And I'm like, that's not why I'm writing this. It doesn't bother me that somebody out there in the world is thinking. I'm. But uh, it was to say, sometimes people show you who they are by the, the posts that they make or the, the comments that they give you or the things that they'll say that have really nothing to do with you and have everything right. to do with them. And that's become way more evident to me since I've been doing this work, this personal development work. Well, well, Judy, thank you so very much for your time today. Oh, thank you for asking. Yeah. And uh, I really want to see the Enlightened Leadership Lab grow. Thank you. Best wishes for that. Thank you so much, Phoebe. It's so good to see you every Thursday. So thanks for being in my world. Same here. Thank you.